This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Enterprise show. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me once again this week is Norman Lau. Hey, Norm, how's it going? Hey, Christopher. I'm glad to be back, and I'm glad to have another opportunity to talk to all the good folks out there listening to Trek FM. Well, you know, I told you that when you beamed over here for the recording, you should find a nice, quiet area, clear of debris, good weather, but instead it looks like that's not what you did, because... Looks like a tree branch sticking out of your shoulder right there. I wasn't sure if that was it or not, but I'm going to have to talk to someone in engineering about that pattern buffer. It was a little dodgy from what I heard. (laughs) I think so. So today we're going to talk about transporters, and specifically we're going to talk about the early days of transporter development, which we get to see on Enterprise. We see the crew being frightened of the transporters, really, because at that point, they're mainly used just to transport cargo. And the transporters on the NX-01, which are rated for biological matter, that's something kind of new to people. Another thing is that as the series goes on, we get to the episode Daedalus in Season 4, where we meet the father of the transporter, and also some interesting ideas about type of technology that would be developed, the path that transporter technology would follow, as well as some ethical quandaries and things that they really need to think about. So we're going to talk about some of those things today. You know, Christopher, when I was researching uh, some of the notes for the show, one of the things that was most interesting to me was springboarding off of what we discussed last week about how to prepare Starfleet cadets and Starfleet crew for missions in deep space. I don't think that there is a page in any textbook or any advice that an instructor could give a new cadet to prepare them for having their molecules rearranged from one side of the, say, campus to the other side of the campus or one side of a city to a starship. I don't know. I don't know how one would relay that sensation or try to even instill any kind of confidence in somebody to believe that this technology would put them back together the same way that they left. Yeah. Well, you know, I often say I wish we had transporters because I think about, for example, recording a podcast. So you're in California right now. I'm in Japan. It'd be great if we could just be in the same room together. And in the Star Trek universe, I could just beam over to your place or you could beam over here. We could record and then beam back over, have dinner with the family, you know, whatever. And I think it would be wonderful. And I hate airplanes. Like I, I mean, I don't mind airplanes. I'm not afraid of flying, but I hate the process of going to the airport, going through security and all that stuff and getting on the plane and then sitting there for 13 hours. Nevertheless, if we actually had transporters, I'm not so sure I could just step into one. I think like you say, that would be, it would be really hard for someone to reassure me that that was safe. Well, that's an, actually, that's interesting to say because one of the things that I, I always thought about when or if transporter technology was created in our lifetimes, would it be really any different than walking into an airport and having to be processed? The logistics of mm-hmm. going into a transporter arena, 
it's yeah, I mean, you would have to still check in. You would have to still be checked for weapons or drugs or you would have to be screened in some way. And then because, you know, then whatever was on you would be put into the data stream and then they would have to be buffered and then it would have to come out another side. And then whatever was on you is still on you because, you know, that's that's just how the transporter works unless they can screen it out of you. So imagine, if you will, taking a trip and you get out of the car and you grab your luggage and you walk to the security line and they check you through. And then all that time is still spent before you could get to the transporter pad. Then you're there. And then, yes, instead of a five, 10, 15, 20 hour trip, if you're going all the way around the world, it would just be an instant. Yeah. And then you would have to go basically do the reverse in order to leave the transporter facility. So, you know, I always thought it would be interesting. It's not like you could just walk into a transporter place and then just poof and then poof and then you're exactly where you were. I still think there would be some of the of the standard trappings involved with 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 just travel in general. Well, you know, that's of course norm unless you have a ship in orbit. Well, that's you know, yeah. Being <laughs> but, being a Starfleet officer has its privileges. Yeah, but you but know? you're talking about the idea of transporter technology becoming a new mode of transportation here on Earth just mm-hmm. for everyday people, right? Correct, yes. And, and that's something interesting that we don't really get into in Enterprise. How is it used by everyday people? Or is it used by everyday people? I kind of get the impression that in the 22nd century, this is something that's still pretty much a Starfleet thing, that it's mm-hmm. used by Starfleet and people are still very wary of it. I think the general public would be very scared to use it. But then when we move forward, like when we get to the 24th century, when Cisco visits Earth, he's in San Francisco, but he'll just beam down to New Orleans, have dinner at his dad's restaurant, beam back to New Orleans. But of right. course, right. he's also a captain. So, you know, he's got his own, he can just go in and tell the transporter chief to, you know, beam me down there. Well, that would have been really interesting to see if the season one of Enterprise would have turned out the way we wanted it to turn out with kind of like a longer version of First Flight where we got to see the inner workings of Starfleet and how all of the different crewmen were involved in various parts of the world and how they would have beamed from one office to another office. I think we would have seen the transporter in a little more of a advanced application Obviously, for getting dignitaries, maybe dignitaries involved with it because you don't want to risk somebody in a transporter accident. But I think that since they would have been on base, we probably would have seen a little bit more application. But for pedestrian use, yes, I think that it probably would have been a little bit harder to sell for the general public. Yeah, probably so. Well, so then let's talk about some of those reasons. There are a lot of fears that people had about the transporters. And that's mentioned in Daedalus, specifically when Emery Erickson, the inventor of the transporter, comes aboard the Enterprise. And they're having dinner, and he's talking about when he invented the technology and some of the challenges that were there, and especially the challenges in helping people understand that it was safe, well, and in testing it. And also there's that scene where, and this is one of those scenes that doesn't hold up as well in HD because you can tell like it looks very fake. But Danica, his daughter, pulls up his sleeve to give him an injection. Mm -hmm. And -hmm. you can see that the transporter has done something to his body, something to his skin, where it's just all completely distorted. But that's one of the most basic fears that people had at the time, was that the transporter would not put you back together properly. Right. And I think that that was an example of high exposures to Delta radiation. Yeah, that's what they talk we about saw in the episode. episode. Yeah. 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 But um to to get back to your point, I think that a lot of people would have had some pretty generally strong fears about what this technology could do. As with all new technologies before they're really proven and before someone famous or someone really important gets put through the technology because by and large you're really just starting off with doing inorganic materials boxes, crates, you name it, you know, very, very modest uh, endeavors when it comes to uh, putting anything yeah. at risk. And if, like with the box, I mean, if you end up with three flaps on the bottom and one on the top, 
not such a big deal, right? Right. And, <laughs> but I'm sorry, because I was thinking about something ridiculously funny from Galaxy Quest. Uh, you know, when they, when they tried the experiment or when they tried the, uh, the matter converter on the pig and it came back inside out and it exploded. I mean, that's like basically the, that's the transporter fear that everyone has because you step in and instantaneously you're in another place mm-hmm. and instantaneously, uh, you have crossed thousands or millions of miles depending on where your destination was. So that has to be really disorienting for a first time transporter test pilot because there's no as we talked about with Starfleet cadets in the last the last warp 5 there is no basis there is no record of how you're supposed to feel what are the side effects am i going to you know what are basically the 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 ups and downs of of what happens after stepping off that transporter mm-hmm. pad on the receiving end i mean no one knows no one did know until Ericsson. right well, another fear that people had was that of duplicates. And this one I find really interesting because we see that later on in Star Trek, especially in The Next Generation with Second Chances, where we get William Riker and then his duplicate. So then we have Thomas Riker. And I think that's one of those fears. The feeling I get from listening to Erickson talk about it in the episode Daedalus is that He's telling people, ah, that's nonsense. Don't worry about that. That can't happen. But yet it can happen. And and you would get a duplicate. How do you feel, Norm? I mean, would would that be a concern that you would have that like somehow there's going to be another Norman C. Lau out there somewhere? Well, I think for the general public, I think they really only need to handle <laughs> one <laughs> Norman C. Lau. But, um, and... I don't think I don't think the name. I think your boss would like that, though. I mean, think about how much work you could get done. You know what happens when you have two people? It doesn't exponentially do the work like twice as fast. You just pile on double the work. All right. You know. So, but and also, I don't have the most flattering middle name. It's Carl. So, I mean, at least it was Thomas Raker. That's kind of a cool name. Carl Lau doesn't really work all (laughs) all that well. But uh, no, it's a it's a good question because we also have to go back to um, the original series episode, The Enemy Within, when Kirk gets divided in half. Uh, and half of him is the courageous side and half of him is the emotional side and the two can't survive without each other. I, I couldn't even imagine and even not knowing by the time I, I step back on or get reconstituted back on the transporter pad that that would have happened. You wouldn't know because somewhere along the line, the second version of you would materialize on the pad when all the lights are shut off and mm-hmm. everyone's gone off to party. Or to say like, hey, we've we've brought you know we've brought back our first test subject. Let's go celebrate. Then ten minutes later, the transporter pad reactivates again, and then another you know another me comes on the pad. Mm-hmm. That's strange because it's all joking aside. I mean, when you really think about it, there's something fundamentally disconcerting about having your entire being broken down at the molecular level, not just molecules and atoms, but electrical synapses, memories, memory patterns, everything that you are as a being is turned into data. It turns to a stream of ones and zeros and then sent over instantaneously as an energy beam to another place. There's all, there are too many what ifs mm-hmm. when it comes to that situation. There are too many, well, I don't know, what if there's a power fluctuation in the power grid or what if I have a really terrible internet connection and all of a sudden there's a skip in the in the in the data stream? Never so transport on Wi-Fi, Norm. That's rule number one. Never transport on Wi-Fi. <laughs> it's it. I mean, it's it's got to be terrifying when you really think about it. It's it's like stepping onto an airplane and you know and hoping for the best and say, well, it's a twelve-hour trip and I'm going over the ocean. I I don't know what's going to happen. I hope I brought my swimming trunks or yeah. You know, it's it's the fear of traveling, but at a completely completely obtuse level. Well, let's go back to something you were talking about a little bit earlier where there's no frame of reference for someone to explain, like, what does this feel like? Another thing that Erickson explained that was really interesting to me was that the first transporter that he built and tested, he said it took it a minute and a half to cycle. So he could literally feel his body being taken apart by the transporter so that it could then be reassembled. 
somewhere else. Now, first of all, I don't know that, I'm not sure that's actually possible in the first place, but let's mm. just pretend it is with the technology. I mean, that that's a wild experience. And I would think that it, it's easy to see why anyone in the 22nd century would be scared to step into that thing. Well, I think it was a really smart scene to put the the physical trauma that Erickson suffered mm-hmm. into into the scene because as much as he said it was safe and as much as he said that he could endure the the experiment of going through the first time I think he actually suffered a great deal. He suffered for his technology and he suffered for his science and he was a really good salesman and swallowing a lot of that pain and making sure that this technology of his moved forward because he knew he's a visionary and he knew that eventually all the bugs would get worked out. There would be engineers that would be working on this around the clock funded by Starfleet and funded by USPA. And they wanted this technology to work because it would save them ridiculous amounts of time in loading and offloading ships, loading and offloading personnel or personnel um, goods or also save them a lot of money and visual effects, Norm. Oh, absolutely. You know, you don't, who wants to render a shuttle pod if you don't need to render a shuttle pod? You know, all you need is a couple blinking lights. <laughs> so, but I, I really do think that um, the man, you know, any genius kind of suffers through his own uh, machinations. And and Erickson, yes, he, he believed his technology would work, but I think it cost him dear. Well, as we know from the show, it cost him dearly, but it also cost him personally uh, from his own experiences. So. Yeah. Well, it cost him his son. It also impacted his physical being because he's in a wheelchair mm-hmm. now. And plus we saw the other deformations that he had. An- another thing is in the 22nd century, they didn't have all the filters that they have later mm-hmm. on in Star Trek. And at the beginning of the show, I was joking about a stick, a branch sticking out of your arm. And that's what we see very early on in Enterprise in Strange New World, where we see the crewmen actually beam up and he has debris embedded in his body. And what's interesting about that, too, is they wanted to make that a whole lot more gruesome than it was, and they really scaled it back. But I think even the scaled-back version still has a lot of impact on the viewer. And let's go back to Hoshi on this one. Could you imagine poor Hoshi if she saw that happen right in front of her? Oh, my gosh. Because... That's probably any crewman's worst fear is all of a sudden like that could have been me. Oh yeah, you know I mean it was just it was just you know blind luck that that this happened to this other crewman, um, and it, it it's hard. It's it's not the transporter's fault really. It was just a bad situation. But at the same time though, when you're one of eighty three people on a ship, now it's eighty two, you know. So the odds are against you when it comes to uh, surviving any kind of transporter malfunction. So that's not really. That's not really doing well for the Ericsson marketing team there, you know. No, definitely not. Well. Definitely not. Another thing when we're talking about fears is psychosis. And of course, I think the most famous case of transporter psychosis is in the next generation with Realm of Fear with Barkley. But we get a little bit of it in Enterprise as well, especially in Vanishing Point, which is it's an episode that I kind of ignored the first time through, but I've come to really enjoy this episode, maybe because I like Hoshi, but this idea that she's in the transporter buffer for 8.6 seconds, I think it is. Mm-hmm. But it's like a day or more go by for her, and she imagines all this stuff in her head. Well, that goes back to when we're talking about having your entire being compressed into a data stream does it mean because she experienced a day in time does it mean that her entire consciousness is intact in the same way it would have been intact if she was a whole person because now she's in the pattern buffer and the pattern buffer is supposed to protect the integrity of of the superstructure of what of what you are you know every all the way down to even the smallest electrical impulses that are your synapses in your brain I mean, really think about it. That's that's kind of a daunting uh, aspect to comprehend when it comes to who you are and basically a computer file. Mm-hmm. You know, that's so. When that's happening, she's conscious. She's conscious for what she believes is a day or so in time. And when she that's when she comes back on the other side, she would still remember all of those experiences. Well, yeah, she does from that eight point six seconds at the end, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't think there's a counselor on 
the enterprise. So who does she talk to about this? A, a, It'd another be Flock. crewman. Well, Sluggo maybe, yeah. but probably Flocks. So. Yeah. So and then Flocks would be like, well. I don't know. It never happened to me. I don't know what to tell you, kiddo. You know, but <laughs> <laughs> then she goes like, and she talks to yeah. Chef. And you know how helpful Chef is. So let's fast forward in time to the Wrath of Khan, because when mm-hmm. we talk about this, which we've talked about at some point in the past, I know, like what happens in the transporter beam. Because of creative license and storytelling, we get very different takes on how this works. Sometimes we see people kind of get into position to beam up and then they beam up and they're very still. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, okay, oh, I'm back now. But in the Wrath of Khan, when they're beamed up from inside Regula, from mm-hmm. inside the moon, when they beam out, they're talking. And when they materialize, they're still talking. Right. So it's it's as if they're talking while they're in the transporter beam or it happens so instantaneously that they were talking and it happened and then when they rematerialize, it's almost like if, if a record skipped or you just hit pause for one second and then you hit play again. No, that's actually a really good uh, point there. And another scene that actually kind of punctuates what you're talking about is in Star Trek 2009 when... Kirk and Sulu are basically being beamed from a deadfall in like free fall, you know, from uh, the platform yeah. on Vulcan. And they hit that transporter pad as if <laughs> right. they were falling, um, which I thought would have shattered the transporter pad, but a transporter, that's pretty strong stuff. Yeah. You know, so, but it, it from that example and from the example you're talking about and, and, and various other examples throughout all the different incarnations of Star Trek, it seems that it's an instantaneous beaming process, but much like uh, any other thing in the early Star Trek, they were kind of trying to find their footing. So it's either you stand there and stand still and don't move and everything's going to be okay, you know, or, you know, as technology has developed throughout the course of the series, you realize that as the beam basically decompresses you, it's doing it instantaneously and it's, it's, it's faster than I think that we realize. Yeah, but what happens when they dematerialize you and then they have a problem with the transport buffer and they have to keep working and working mm-hmm. before they can finally rematerialize you. Sometimes many seconds or even a minute or more will pass during that time. So then what happens to you while you're inside that transporter beam? It would be my impression that if, say, you and I are in this conversation and we're getting materialized or dematerialized right now, and then all of a sudden your pattern buffer reconstitutes in perfect real time. I'm stuck. I believe that I would probably be at the point of conversation where we were both dematerialized and I would just continue speaking. And then when I finished my thought, I'd be talking to myself because you would have walked off the transporter pad and onto the bridge or wherever you needed to go. And I'd be... Okay, so... So what was I, who was I talking to? What was I talking so about? So it's basically like using Skype. You just, the connection gets out of sync, you know, there's time lag and it's kind of like that. Well, this is, you've always warned me to, to not, uh, you know, uh, do this over Wi-Fi and you're, you're probably hardwired and I'm Wi-Fi'd and this is what happens. I'm going <laughs> to, exactly. I'm going to make a giant skip in data here and you're going to go off and finish your mission and get promoted and I'm going to be stuck in the transporter pad. <laughs> well, let's transition to another topic that's sort of related to that, which is the metaphysical argument, which Erickson mm-hmm. brings up again in, in Daedalus, is one of the things that people were debating in the 22nd century when transporter technology was created, and then when they were talking about beaming people. And it all comes down to the idea of what makes us human, or what makes us who we are. And earlier, you were talking about the ones and zeros. And, you know, on the most basic level, I mean, the universe is digital, the universe is ones and zeros. So no matter what we think we are, we can be described in digital information as ones and zeros. But but there's something about us, of course, that gives us consciousness and, and separates us from all the other life forms that we know right now. And what is that thing? Can it be broken down 
into ones and zeros and then reassembled without changing it. And this is obviously, it's a very, it's a philosophical argument and it's a religious argument as well. And it's very, very natural that this is something that people on earth would be debating at the time that this technology was created. I would have loved to have been on the ground floor for something like that to be revealed in Erickson's time because the amount of debate and the amount of religious pressure or feedback or revolt that would have come from something like this would have been pretty much across every single facet of belief because there is a fundamental constant in all belief systems that you know you are of a higher purpose you're of a higher being and when your molecules when your vessel if you will as a human being or as a person is deconstructed and it is no longer part of this physical plane and i'm talking purely metaphysical here then what happens to the soul? Because the soul is now, have, it has been released. It has been freed from its mortal, this, this you know, mortal flesh. But it really hasn't been because it's been digitally processed at the same time instantaneously as all of the rest of you into that pattern buffer. So the level of, again, a level of debate, the level of... Um, religious backlash from something like this must have or would have been astronomical because again there is no and you know I apologize to any of the listeners because I'm not really arguing one side of the yeah fence. we're I'm not arguing, arguing if one's point. right or wrong it's just right it's just it's the just a question that would have been there at the time right and the fact of the matter is is that Erickson created this technology that did this specific physical thing. It was it was scientific fact they could take molecules from one space and move them to another space. He didn't really bring in the aspect of religion to it because I don't think he himself believed in that at all or else that he would have never have developed this technology in the first place. He thought he was furthering mankind by giving them the opportunity to push themselves in a direction that probably wasn't thought possible. And then as you add the religious opinion, now you have some type of hindrance in his way because they would have put pressure to bear on the technology because they felt that it was doing something against the name of religion, mm-hmm. i.e. the name of the soul uh, or the, or the uh, misrepresentation of what the soul really is. It's, I feel like I'm actually talking in riddles because there's no real easy way to say this. Well, one of the questions would be, yeah. is there even a soul? Correct. And I get that. That's that's a that's a large question, um, and specifically, as applied to this particular episode, Daedalus, and as applied to Erickson's transporter technology, he believes that whatever he's doing is trumping that particular argument because he is furthering mankind, mm-hmm. i.e., furthering the human race, i.e., furthering the ability for us to go out there and explore the universe. So. It's, I don't think he's really putting that part of the equation at the top of, of, of what he's considering to be um, important enough for him to stop developing the sure. technology. Sure. Well, I mean, he's very dismissive of the arguments against transporter technology in general. And, and you can tell he has the frustration with the people who argue that there's this risk or there's that risk or that, you know, it... This argument, it's been a long time since I read this book, but Lawrence Krauss, who was an advisor um, for part of Star Trek, as I recall, he wrote a book called The Physics of Star Trek. And The mm-hmm. Physics of Star Trek, it, it's kind of dated now because it was written in the 90s. But I believe, if I remember correctly, there is a part in there with the transporters where there is the question anyway of whether or not the transporter kills you and resurrects you or if it actually stores you as you are as an individual person and simply transports you somewhere else and puts the exact same person back and i I don't think we ever can know for sure until we actually invent this technology if we ever do but i've i don't know i've always leaned towards the side that in a sense it actually kills you Mm-hmm. And then it reassembles 
a new person that's described with almost complete accuracy uh, using the information that described you previously. But it's not quite the same as you like putting yourself into a UPS package and shipping yourself to Cleveland. And then... <laughs> with the only with three flaps on a box. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, it's an interesting question and I don't know any right or wrong answer to it. But again, talking about early transporter development, it would have been, I mean, boy, think about the news networks in the 22nd century. They would have so much to cover and debate. Well, I th- again, that's if the writers for Star Trek Enterprise really wanted to delve into some pretty interesting issues, that could have been they one could of have, them. Yeah. And that would have popped up here and there because there would have been people who wanted to try and sabotage Starfleet technology. There would have been conspirators probably from from even our own planet because you know it's it's a military secret or military technology exactly so well yeah yeah we never say that on on the air oh that's right we're supposed to play it cool yeah keep it on the down though. yeah so you can edit that out right sure so um i'll just beep it but when yeah (laughs) i'll beep out the 31 uh, part they don't know which section we're talking about and section 13 just reversed (laughs) oh yeah that'll trick them yeah (laughs) <laughs> you know, but think about it this way. When you're, when you're recording music because you're a musician, mm-hmm. okay, and you understand this better than most, when you're recording a live performance with the best possible recording technology that you have to, at your disposal, can you say without a shadow of a doubt that you've recorded everything 100% to the optimum quality for replay, Right, Because that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about somebody's physical being at 100% of what you know them as or who you know them as on the pad, then beamed over and then reconstituted. I mean, we know that Star Trek technology is replete with being upgraded, with being tweaked, with being calibrated, with getting everything to optimum performance. But even so you're always going to be at least in some small minuscule fraction of a measurement, not 100%, which means that on the rematerialization side, you're not going to be 100%. I mean, that's a, I think that's a fairly decent line of logic there. Yeah. If I were a Vulcan, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about something moving on from there. And this is something that you and I were talking about before we hit record. And this is the fact that because of the events of the eugenics wars, because with the transporter, you can actually manipulate matter. And Mm -hmm. as we know later on, 23rd century, 24th century, they've built all kinds of filters into the transporters as well. So like on Enterprise, when they come back from a planet, they have to go and rub each other with gels and lotions in the decon chamber because the transporters do not have biofilter on them like they do in the 24th century. But because you can manipulate matter, you could actually change characteristics of people if you wanted to. You could selectively change things about them. And you mentioned that because of the eugenics wars and this fear that came out of that, that they would likely put into place laws that made it illegal for you to do that using transporters. Well, I mean, think about it in in these terms. If you wanted to create a perfect super being, you could just basically beam an average person into a pattern buffer, break down their essential characteristics and say, you know what? He beamed in at five foot six. I want to make him six feet tall. He beamed in with, um, let's see, he has some type of disease or if he has some type of ailment, well, we'll just remove that out of his genetic makeup from the other side. So well, you would, there's like there, tumors or cysts or something. You would think that would be something that you could just beam out. And yet we still have medical tables and operating facilities, yeah. uh, standard medical operating facilities on ships. I mean, if they really wanted to, if someone was really severely hurt, they could fix them in the pattern buffer mm-hmm. because they would have their, they would have their baseline right. on file. Yeah, exactly. So that's like with a tumor, like I'm thinking, well, if you beam out the tumor, well, something has to go in place of it. But yeah, like you said, they have the records of that individual before the tumor. 
Right. So they could actually replace the the bad tissue with good tissue using that diet. Right. And that would be part of a program that they would have in the library of different types of fixes, if you will, for all of these different ailments or all these different... They would have basically a library of filters or a library of uh, programs that say, you know what? We need to make him this tall. We need to make him this heavy. We need to make him this strong. We need to make yeah. him this, that, well, or the other I thing. I can see it being like the transporter console. It's kind of like Photoshop. There's a filters menu and you just pull down. You, you can do like the extend height filter. You can add four inches to the guy. You could lens flare him if you really wanted to, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> he's walking around the ship with a permanent lens flare in his eye. <laughs> oh, so yeah, no, actually that's really, that's a really good way of putting it because it's kind of, it is literally made to order transporter mm-hmm. reconstitution, if you will, because you have that ability, you have that ability to make that person, that data optimized. I mean, when you really think about it, you're, you're, that pattern buffer is storing this corrupt data, for lack of a better term. You take a look at it and you say, you know what? I need to optimize this stream before it comes out. I'm going to do it in a way that, that makes most sense, that heals any ailments or strengthens any weaknesses. And essentially, that transporter chief or that transporter engineer is a little bit like playing God. You know, mm-hmm. and now you still, and now you basically recurve this whole point back to the metaphysical aspect of it. Because if you change somebody in the pattern stream, you have become a creator, in a sense. Yeah. So or a space you know, plastic so, surgeon. And those guys make the big bucks. They do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I was thinking as you're describing all of that, the transporter could potentially be like the fountain of youth, right? You could always use the data from when you were younger to reconstitute yourself over and over and over. Well, and then we go into relics, you know, that very famous next generation episode where Scotty basically created an infinite buffer loop Mm -hmm. for him to be able to survive all of those years that he was stuck in the, and that sphere when the, when his ship crash landed. I mean, that's essentially what he did. He basically allowed his pattern to continuously loop and slowly degrade over time. The thing is, I think only Scotty could pull that off. Well, this is this is Scotty we are right. talking about yeah. here, you know. Well, one other thing I wanted to talk about, which comes up in Daedalus, is the path that the technology could have taken. So Erickson tells Archer that your father thought the future was in the warp drive, but I felt the future was in transporters. And he talked about sub-quantum transporters and being able to beam from Earth to Vulcan. And Tripp is really impressed, and he says, wow, that's like 16 light years. And Erickson Mm -hmm. says, that's just the beginning. And so it raises a couple of questions. One is, what would it mean for Starfleet if you had the ability to beam groups of people from one planet to another, 16 or 30 or 100 light years away? That's the first question. Because that's one that Erickson himself asks. I think that in in one sense would have been advantageous to Starfleet because I think it would have allowed them to meet with diplomats a little bit more quickly or set up meetings that oh, would have taken, you know... So, sorry to interrupt you, Norm, but the oh. Enterprise D mm-hmm. is going to be obsolete now. If they don't need to ferry the diplomats around everywhere... Thank you, Erickson. <laughs> the card's out of a job. Yeah. You know, actually, I when when uh, the actor proposed that as Erickson, I was like, okay, that makes a good point. But at the same time, though, you can't defend against an incursion force right. with with that kind of technology. Sure, you can move people around, you can move goods around, you can move food around, and clothing and supplies. All of those, you know, very important parts to the structure of what Starfleet's about. But then all of a sudden, a Romulan fleet shows up at your doorstep. Or what are you going to do? Like you know, beam party supplies under their ship. No, you need a you need a, a line of defense. You need an actual armada of ships to be able to defend. Uh, you, you know, the home base. You know, I I think that it would go against the human spirit because we like to explore the unknown, and there's nothing interesting about simply beaming to places. Simply beaming to places. 
we need ships where we can go out and we can actually travel there and we can explore. So I feel like this would be a very, very useful technology for certain situations. But I, I don't think that humans would ever decide to use that instead of having starships and going out to explore. Well, it also made me question the technology because unless I'm wrong, I always thought that you would have to have a point A and a point B for this type of subquantum beaming. You would have to have a transmitter and a receiver, if you will. So you would have to go out to those further reaches in order to set up that technology so that you would have a a system in place or a station in place for you to be able to maintain the equipment for the receiving end of of the transporter pad because yes we could have one station here on earth or on vulcan or any of the alliance planets at the time for for starfleet but okay so you beam somebody out that distance how do you rematerialize them yeah yeah it, it's i'm not sure like if a starship is in orbit then you can beam down to the planet and just materialize anywhere and you can beam out from anywhere but you're talking about a few hundred few thousand kilometers at that point. If you're talking about 16 light years, it probably would be a system where there is like a transmitter and a receiver on each end. And think about the strength of the signal. Because, yes, I know we're dealing with sub-quantum physics. I am no physicist, by the way. So all, we, I'm, all I'm really doing is extrapolating what I believe I know of quantum theory. And... It's a th- it's basically it's a particle that moves at a certain or a faster acceleration or resonance than 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 normal energy. Forgive me for saying that, <laughs> but but anyway, that's why I'm not an engineer. Damn it, Jim, I'm not an engineer. So, but but the point is, is it's supposed to be able to improve upon transporter technology because it's more robust because it can travel a certain distance. But what happens if that signal gets interrupted? Mm-hmm. What happens on the other end? What happens again? We it goes back to the argument that we were talking about before: is what happens if there's a malfunction? You know, and now no one trusts the technology for you to be able to go that far out into space from a central beaming point. It's it's just basically compounding the issue, but with greater technology at the forefront of it. I think what happens there, Norm, is you have a great movie for the Enterprise's movie night, Signal Interrupted. Mm. It's a great thriller. Uh, Hoshi won't watch it. She's really scared of that film. And uh, Trip and Reed, they keep trying to get her to come down and watch it. So what I also find interesting about this is that in the Abrams-verse, we actually see this technology because this would explain how Harrison as Khan, beams from Earth to Kronos. But even before Into Darkness came out, in the comics, in the Star Trek ongoing comics, we actually saw Scotty developing this technique in the first place. It's one thing that if you, if you read the Star Trek ongoing comics leading up to the film, the whole thing about Khan beaming himself from Earth to Kronos made a slight bit more sense because they actually did set it up. You know, when I first saw that in the theater, being a Star Trek fan, I tried to put the logic behind it using Star Trek logic, using Star Trek technology to mm-hmm. to, to, to connect the dots. And I said, well, of course. Being... And then you just threw your popcorn up in the air and said, I give up. Well, I was blinded by a lens flare, so I don't know what happened. <laughs> so. no, but um, but uh, because he was Section 31 and because there were hints of him being Khan Union Singh, kind of the greatest warrior in, in known history, you know that he would have set this up ahead of time, all of these different beaming points, and you know that he yeah. would have covered his tracks. So when friends of mine who were also Star Trek fans are with me, they were like, well, how did he do that? Well, I'm like, well, obvious. He set up sight-to-sight beaming. Obviously. He's Section 31, so he, <laughs> you know, so he has you know, access to probably technology that you've never seen before. I mean, have you ever seen like um, the, the hover ship that he had that took out the entire Admiralty? I mean, that was, right. was kind of new. That was neat, and it was outfitted with site-to-site transporter beaming technology. There was a pad right on his seat, you yeah. know. So, so he had everything laid out. It wasn't like all of a sudden, you know, what I need to go somewhere. I need to beam out somewhere. And Scotty, when he 
when he basically reverse engineered what happened. He's like, I tried to make this happen, but this guy, this guy knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you imp- so if you impress Scotty with this type of technology, yeah. you got to be doing something right, right? Well, Scotty got in trouble, you know, for beaming Admiral Archer's prize beagle around, mm-hmm. whereas Khan was able to escape all the way to Kronos. So S- Scotty was just a little bit miffed, you know, that didn't work out as well for him. But it's I still think it's kind of crazy, but at the same time watching Daedalus again and hearing Erickson talk about the same kind of technology and planting the seeds on Enterprise that even in the prime timeline, this is something that the inventor of the transporter foresaw as a use of the technology and it was something that he was trying to develop makes a little more it makes it a little bit easier to accept the fact that in the Abrams verse they actually do this. Well, sure. And I think that if Orsi really wanted to to mine for any of these types of any of these types of nuggets or Easter eggs, if you will, that he could have dropped that in the script really easily. And then because it's not like there wasn't an Enterprise reference in Into Darkness and we saw the NXO one on Marcus's credenza. So we know mm-hmm. that there is a part of that universe that does exist. Uh, and I think it would have been a really nice little nod to all the fans of the Enterprise series if they mentioned if Scotty mentioned, yeah, it goes, I remember a long time ago, Emery Erickson tried to do this, and it looks like someone improved on his technology, i.e. Section 31. But And it would have added to the robustness of their clandestine um, resources. Because I, I always see Section 31 as having this giant warehouse of really cool stuff. And yeah. all you know, they just all of a sudden it's like, oh, we need this for this occasion. We need this for this occasion. Uh, Harrison, what do you need to complete this project? I need sub quantum beaming transport pads. Do you have any of those lying around? We have those for. <laughs> How many do you need? Yeah, well, I need one for my ship. I need one for Kronos. <laughs> I need one for here, and I need one for oh, four will be good. Three actually, but let's just make sure that I get back. So we'll do four. We need to ask Alec Peters if he has access to the Section 31 warehouse and if there's going to be an auction of that stuff anytime soon. Well, I think that uh, I think that they're they're sponsored by PropWorks, so you know there's the whole Section 31 (laughs) PropWorks crossover. (laughs) Say that on the building, (laughs) Section 31, a division of PropWorks. I think it's the name of their warehouse, Section 31, (laughs) (laughs) or one of their pods where they store their props. So, oh, Alec, I apologize. (laughs) all right well well, these are the key things that stood out for me in terms of early transporter development and i'm I'm sure there are a lot of other things that other people have noticed so we would love to hear your thoughts on this you can find us in our listeners group on facebook the babel conference just type the babel conference b-a-b-e-l into the search field on facebook and you can get there or on our website click discussion up on the menu bar and that will take you over there as well. It's a closed group, so you need to click join, but then I'll let you right on in there. And if you're not on Facebook, you can send me a message at trek.fm slash contact. Use the form there. And also on Twitter, trek.fm is the username. So we'd love to hear from you there. Norm is in the Babel conference all the time. So that's a great place to come and talk to both of us. So Norm, thanks for beaming in today to talk about this. And sorry about your shoulder, but you know, we're, we're, we're almost done, so you can go have a doctor look at that. And if people want to find you and chat you up about Star Trek, tell them where they should go. Well, you can always find me on Twitter and on Facebook at Norman Lau. That's N-O-R-M-A-N-L-A-O. I'm also a huge supporter of Alec Peters and the Star Trek Axonar Project, and you can find me on the Axonar fan group page there on Facebook. And I'm also a proud supporter and sponsor of Trek FM through Patreon. Uh, it's one of the... It's one of the first ways that I was able to learn a little bit more about what everyone here does at Trek FM, and it is really a great cause for all of us Star Trek fans to support the projects that are happening here at Trek FM because they deliver us great content, and if you like it, I highly recommend supporting it. And I am associate producer for Warp 5, The Orb, The 602 Club, and Star Trek Axanar, the official Axanar podcast. Excellent. Yeah, and we appreciate your support so much, Norm. And But even beyond that, it's just been so great, you know, having you as part of the team here and having you on the shows now. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And uh, when I was at Kamikaze this last weekend, 
there was a really enthusiastic fan, really nice young man. And one of the things he said to me, which, which really resonated deep in me as a fan was, I rarely ever get a chance to talk about any of this with anyone. Mm-hmm. And he was mm-hmm. standing there talking about just so many different topics, so many different shows, all about the Star Trek universe. And he was having such a great time. And I turned him on to Trek FM and I said, you know what? Here is where you need to go to not just listen to it, but participate because you can always email, you can always write in your notes and you can always get in contact with us on Facebook. So for all of our listeners out there, I was a listener too. at one point in time, I became extremely interested in what these guys do. They put on a great product and this is the best way for us to continue the dialogue for Star Trek because as Star Trek fans, this is what we love talking about and, and support um, Trek FM to keep this conversation going. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. Well, thanks also for dropping by today, Norm. Now, beam on out and get that shoulder checked. All right. I'm out. See ya. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed our discussion today, but it's not the only thing we've been talking about here on the network this past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. And then next week, it's like, hey, Worf, what's going on? And he's like, oh, not much. Just, you know, yeah. walking around the bridge like like I didn't have my spine grown, uh, you know, last week. <laughs> Earl Grey. You know, he's on the Enterprise. He doesn't have to be written in the movie because, hey, he's on the Enterprise. Everyone's on the Enterprise. He gets you know. a chair. He gets a chair. I mean, I mean, the whole beginning is all about his promotion. Yeah, exactly. It's basically a Worf-centered uh, movie now that I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> the Orb. Even Odo wasn't able to keep his, you know, quote unquote, hands clean. The the fact that he has this kind of sordid past that we didn't really know about until now is really, really interesting. To the journey! I think the audience by large, or by and large, kind of saw Data as a machine and was probably a little more on the side of Maddox, as in Data is it, not he, and that sort of a thing, without even realizing it. And the measure of a man took us from that point to, you know what? This guy has the right to choose. Warp 5. The TV viewer who doesn't know anything about that, they're probably more like the actual people of the Enterprise era, where the idea that we would have these starships that can take us into the depths of the galaxy at Warp 5, this is all new for them as well. The Ready Room. Deep Space Nine is closer to the original series than any other Star Trek show in terms of ideals and, yeah, conflict. There is conflict in the original series. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. What's interesting, though, is this isn't even a threat. I mean, no, no, let no. that be your last yeah. battlefield. There was a threat that Kirk was making in, in, in this episode. Picard's just like, yeah, we don't know who's taking our ship, and nobody's allowed to have our ship, so you know, let's blow it up. Commentary, Trek stars. Although there is a certain darker aspect to the story than, let's say, one would find in Roddenberry's version of humanity, there is also room for hope. Literary Treks. I, I can see that Jean-Luc might have told her, you know, I was reading Janeway's logs, and can you believe that Q got married and has a son? Continuing mission. You're watching the man trap, and then for no reason at all, they go into the botany, well, I want to call it the botany bay, even though I know that's not right, the botanical. <laughs> it's a, I think it's just botany room. The botany room. <laughs> and there's this person's hand in a pink glove as a space yep. plant, and you're just like, what? <laughs> Melodic treks. The latest Thompson Hollibeer Company advert in the United Kingdom features William Shatner's rendition of the Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. Axonar, the official podcast. And as soon as I got back to L.A., um, I sat down and in about three or four days wrote this demo suite of uh, four cues. You know, thankfully it resonated with Alec and, and Christian and you know, here, here we are. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find us everywhere that you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, one great way to get the show and to help us out is to hit subscribe in either the desktop iTunes application or the podcasts app on your iOS device. 
or in one of the third-party apps that you can get as well. When you subscribe in iTunes, that helps us rise up in the search results and it helps other enterprise fans find the show as they're searching around in the store and in the podcast directory. And while you're there, please leave us a star rating and a written review. That really helps us out as well because that helps us rise up in the rankings. Plus, I just love to hear what you think about the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered in many places as well. You can find us on Spreaker, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, BlackBerry, SoundCloud. You can go to the website and you can stream from the show page. You can also download the MP3 file and you can get the RSS link and pop that into any application that you like. If you're looking for a good podcatching application for Android, one that I recommend is Pocket Casts. It has a great interface. It's a lot like the podcasting applications that we have on iOS. And there just aren't that many on Android compared to iOS. But that's one that I think has a great interface, works very well. And everyone that I know who uses it on Android really likes it. So check that out if you're looking for an app. Another way that you can help us out here on the network is to become a patron through Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trekafilm. That's the URL. And Norm mentioned that actually in his closing right there. And if you go there, you'll see our current goals and also milestone contribution levels. You can contribute any amount that you like, but we do have milestone levels. And we have the different perks that we have in exchange for your support listed. And those include things like digital wallpapers and such, but also a chance to sit in on the recordings of your favorite shows, a chance to become part of our content development group. You can get associate producer credits as well and actually help us plan out shows. And who knows, you might even become part of the network as Norm has and come and join me on some shows. We have lots of things for you there because really we're asking you for financial support, but it's not a one-way street. You know, this is everyone's network and I want everyone to be involved and I want you to actually be part of the team and part of what we're doing. And speaking of iTunes and reviews, which I just mentioned a moment ago, there are a couple that I'd like to share with you here, a couple of new ones. There's one from MJ Bird, who says, a great enterprise podcast and gave us five stars. They make you think about the show and what it could be. Great cast that works well together. If you are not an enterprise fan, listen to this and maybe you will become one. So thanks so much for that, MJ Bird. I'm glad that we're helping you see new things in enterprise. There's also one here from Jedge1234 in the US iTunes store who left us five stars and said, since I have been missing Star Trek a lot lately, I have been re-watching all the series. At the moment, I am watching Enterprise, finished Deep Space Nine a month or so ago. I am currently on season two, episode nine, So listening to Warp 5 is just wonderful. I get to hear all the comments on stuff I am watching or just watched and best of all, get to listen to folks that love Star Trek as much as I do. I hope soon to be able to provide a little financial support each month. So until Paramount, CBS get their act together and give us some new TV-ish Star Trek every week, make mine Trek FM. I love that, Judge. I love the Make Mine Trek a Film. That should be our tagline. We need to put that on something. (laughs) But thanks so much. I'm glad that you're enjoying the show as well. And, you know, if you can support us in the future, that would be wonderful. Of course, everyone who's listening is supporting us by downloading the shows as well. I know not everyone can provide financial support. And please never take my promotion of Patreon and things as, you know, feeling like everyone should be giving us financial support because I know that situations are different. But if you can, even $1, that does make a big difference as well. So I I appreciate that. But Judge and MJ Bird both, thank you so much for the reviews. Those help us out a great deal also. And I just really appreciate any time someone takes a moment out of their busy day to write to us and let us know what they think about the shows there. I'm going to be checking some of the other stores. Uh, The way iTunes works, unfortunately, is we have to actually go to every country's store in order to find out if we have reviews in those stores. So it's, it's kind of difficult. So if you've left a review in another store and I haven't read it yet, don't worry, I'm going to get to that. And uh, same with mail as well. Uh, I do my best to reply to people and I certainly will get messages back to everyone and hopefully read those on the show as well soon. So I really appreciate the support everyone gives us through feedback as well. And speaking of feedback, a great way for you to engage us in conversation 
is to join our listeners group on Facebook. That's called the Babel Conference. The way you get there is to type the Babel Conference in the search field on Facebook or on our website, click discussion up there on the menu bar and that'll take you right over there. And again, just click join. I'll let you in. Sometimes it might take me a little while because remember I'm in Japan and it could be nighttime here when when you click that. So I might be asleep. Now, if you're not on Facebook, I know not everyone is. And if you're not there, there are many other ways for you to get in touch with me. You can go to our website, trek.fm slash contact, use the form that you find there and choose send to a show and choose warp five. And that'll come to me by email. You can also find us on Twitter. The network username is trek.fm. My username is C Brian Jones, a letter C and Brian with a Y. And you can also send us a voicemail. You'll see it in the left sidebar of the website on all the show pages. But also you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. And using the microphone on your webcam or your smartphone or your tablet, you can record a message and upload it to me as an MP3 file. And I'd love to hear from you that way. So before I let you go, I want to tell you a couple of other things. First of all, our sponsor for today's show is audible.com. If you're not an Audible user already, I hope you'll take advantage of the offer for Trek FM listeners and get a free audiobook of your choice. Go over to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm and sign up. Choose the book that you want. If you decide not to stick with Audible, you'll get to keep that book so there's nothing to lose. But if you love podcasts, you're going to love audiobooks. And Audible is the best place to get those books. I've been an Audible customer myself now for about 15 years, going all the way back to the days when I had a four and a half hour round trip commute every single day to my job here in Tokyo. They kept me sane. I have hundreds and hundreds of books in my library. I was just listening to one this morning, actually one about marketing called Traction, which is a really interesting book. If you're looking for a sci-fi book, they have some Star Trek books. They also have lots of other things. And one that I highly recommend that's just a really fun book is one called Year Zero by Rob Reed. Check that one out if you're looking for, if you like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, especially. You're going to love that book. It's about uh, aliens get hooked on human music and they basically are pirating our music for years and years and years. And then they realize that they owe us a lot of money in royalties and it might be easier to just destroy the earth instead of having to pay those fees. It's a really fun book and it's narrated by John Hodgman. So it doesn't get much better than that. But again, you can get the free book by going to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm and signing up today. We really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. Another thing I would invite you to check out because, hey, this show's all about a ship called Enterprise is the project Enterprise in Space. This is a project of the nonprofit National Space Society. It's something that Larry Nemechek and I are both involved in. And the project is to build an eight-foot orbiter called the NSS Enterprise that will take science experiments into orbit. These are experiments designed by students, and it can be kindergarten all the way through postgraduate. There will be at least 100 experiments taken into space. We'll also be testing out new technologies for space travel. And it's going to be no cost to the students, which is fantastic because it's a great learning experience and a great way to further science education. But also, it will be the first time that a ship named Enterprise is actually put into orbit. Of course, there was the original space shuttle, but that didn't actually go into orbit. So this will be an actual orbiter called Enterprise, and you can help make that possible as a virtual crew member by supporting the project. And you do that by going to enterpriseinspace.org. There's a video there. It's actually narrated by me. And it tells you all about the project. And you can get all kinds of other information there, as well as seeing how you can support by donating and becoming a member of the National Space Society. Now, there are other things you can do as well to be involved. One of them is the design contest, which is going on right now. If you have an idea for what the orbiter should look like. You don't have to be an engineer. We're not asking you to design an actual spaceship. We have engineers who are going to do that. But in terms of what the ship should look like, we're looking for your visions, science fiction inspired visions of what the ship should be like. Now, of course, it cannot have warp nacelles on it because that's a licensed thing by CBS. But think about the things you love in science fiction. And there's no fee for you to enter that contest. So go over there and submit your designs. You'll find that also at enterpriseinspace.org. So check out this project. It's something I'm really excited about. I'm really proud to be a part of it. 
And I hope you'll be excited about it too and help us improve science education, improve the lives of students, improve the future for all of us at enterpriseinspace.org. So thanks again to Norm for joining me today and everyone, thanks for listening to the show. Let us know what you think about transporters and all those places where I told you that you can contact us and join me again next time here in the Decon Chamber for yet another episode of Warp 5. <laughs>